0: It's Clint Voidynoski here from Bullpen Media, and I'm in conversation with Matilda Sung from Lutus Capital. Lutus Capital is a company I was keen to learn more about and to present an interview to my audience for a while. They're a sports tech venture capital firm with their portfolio taking in companies like PumpJack DataWorks Data Works and Footy Life to name just a couple. Matilda is Lutus Capital's general partner. In this conversation, we learn about a work. She has a background in investment banking and portfolio management. While in sports, she ran the NFL's Digital Strategy Group. But we also learned how she considers the sports and technology spaces, what she has bullish on in the industry. We even touched on the use case of crypto in sport. Let's get straight into myself asking Matilda to give me a background on Ludus Capital. Very, very top line first question. Ludus Capital. What is it? What does the firm invest in? How do they seek opportunity?
1: Yeah, so Ludus Capital was founded about a year ago with the intent of looking specifically at companies that are at the intersection of sports, technology, and to a certain degree, media, entertainment, um, all within the early stage space. And when I say early stage, really looking at companies that are raising at the seed pre-AA levels. Um, Ludus Capital um, started off by a group of what we would say angel investors, if you will. Um, we started off by co-evaluating deals, co-investing deals, um, realized that there was just a lot of synergies and working together as a group. And during that time, um, so I work with a business partner, Sam Lee, who I know you're you're good friends with. He's based out of New Zealand. Um, him and I both have sports backgrounds, him, NBA, me, NFL. And we also have our professional backgrounds, him, lawyer, myself, having spent time um, in banking and then management consulting. So we bring sort of all this kind of varied skill set to the table. And we like to position ourselves as these strategic investors, if, if you will. And so we love working with um, early stage companies, especially those. Is that we can really roll up our sleeves and work alongside with and really offer our expertise at the table beyond just the check. Um, so when I say we look at sports tech, um, you know, for some people, it's a niche market. For some yeah, people who are in it, yeah, it actually double clicks into a pretty vast market. Um, and, you know, formally, we do look at a number of sub-verticals. We're just seeing extreme growth in a number of these really exciting areas, including sports betting, esports, data analytics, Health and fitness, smart stadiums, OTT broadcast technologies, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we look specifically at companies within these verticals. Um, we are not necessarily just US driven, we are very global in our existence. Um, Sam is based out in New Zealand, myself in the States, and we've got a number of venture partners sort of spread around Europe. And our anchor investor is, um, is US based, but has very strong ties to, um, to, to EMA in Africa. So we're pretty excited about the global the global access that we have. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think I, I can't have this conversation without telling you just how much growth and excitement we're seeing in sports tech space. So we are raising, you know, currently a fund around this area, targeting specifically in this space. And um, we're, we're excited. We've continued to start deploying um, off of our, our vehicles. And I'm happy to sort of tell you more about what we've been up to.
0: We'll get into that in just a moment as well, because there's a few things I want to ask uh, in and around that. You've got a global network; it's essentially a global team. You've got European-based people, Israel, uh, Sam in New Zealand. How do you? It's it's an interesting it's an interesting way of having people across the world. How do you make sure you've got that synergy between each other? What are the advantages of having people placed across the world to be able to seek opportunity? Uh, deploy their expertise as well as you grow your portfolio.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so I'll answer first how we work together. Um, we're yeah. so thankful we live in today's time where we have access to some of the best digital mechanisms, which with which we can you know communicate with one, one another. Just as even this Zoom that we're on together right now, right? So yeah. so we leverage all the tools that are out there, whether it's Zoom, it's like WhatsApp. We chat, Telegram, Slack. Slack is sort of our hub. We all live on Slack, um, and yeah. for better or for worse, I guess, where sometimes it doesn't seem like we're tied to the US time zone or the New Zealand time zone because we're always slacking. <laughs> so I think we've been able to kind of bridge the borders or across, you know, close the borders um, that, that would deal with, with these digital applications. Um, and as it relates to, you know, why global, listen, like sports is something that spans the world, right? Yeah. We've got sports in every inch of this, 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 this earth that we live on. And it's only appropriate that the innovations that we fund is representative of that diverse spread. So I think that's the first thing I'll say. And I think the second thing I'll say is uh, we're seeing innovation everywhere. Um, we recognize sort of US as leading the way when it comes to venture funding and even innovation from a sports led perspective, but um, we're seeing great technology coming out of places like you mentioned, Israel, Southeast Asia, et cetera. Yeah. And, and we don't want to miss out on those opportunities. Yeah. And we think that there are even opportunities that are uh, strategically priced, if you will. So as we all know, everything comes with a bit of a premium in the US, like what we call this seed here oftentimes can be an A or B round in other parts of the world. So we, we don't want to miss out on that opportunity. We also feel that because we are positioned the way we are, we're an advantage in terms of being able to bring companies cross border. So I wouldn't say like it's our specialty, but it's something that we're, we're quite good at. So we're able to help a company that's, you know, start up overseas and help them enter the U.S. markets and vice versa. So that's another sort of vantage point to having folks like spread across um, from a from a from a strategy operations perspective for our startups,
0: as you mentioned in your previous answer, that you're raising a fund and sport touches a lot of things where it's you know, you've OTT, you got betting, you got esports. So through sports, it's a vehicle to go into so many other verticals and horizontals, if you will, as well industries so, which is media and gaming and streaming and all these other kinds of things. Tell me about. That interrelation, that sport doesn't exist in its particular island where we just watch athletes perform. Sport is music and media and creation. Tell me about, does, does that interrelation between sport and media, and gaming and all these kind of blended industries, is that, inf- is that informing how you seek opportunities with, uh, with the fund that you're raising?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely love that question. I don't know if you had a look at our investor deck before this call just now, but it's really one of our, <laughs> what are your laughing? One of the, one of the, you know, no, you're saying no. So our listeners can see what how you're responding right now. <laughs> um, no, I love that question because it actually is one of the core principles surrounding our thesis. There's sort of three principles and I'll, I'll talk about the specific one. We really believe that there is a world in which Innovation can be sourced first with a sports use case, but then ultimately have a much larger surface area of application. For us in venture, we want that, right? Even though sports covers a mass number of people in this world, um, the market in terms of just dollars and revenue is is not necessarily as massive, right? So if we are able to start first with sports and then extend into adjacent verticals and prove the use cases there, it makes a lot of sense. Um, There are a few examples I always like to point to when we talk about this with folks. And the first is, is BAM, right? BAM tech.
0: Um, Classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. For those
1: who are sort of new to sports, I love bringing this up because people get it and people probably used it. Right. I think 20 years ago, every MLB team owner put in a million dollars to start up this entity called BAM tech. And the intent was really to build up the streaming technology that would power baseball on digital devices. And so they did that. And they did that very, very good job of building that streaming technology out to the point where it actually then started supporting game of Thrones, Um, WWE, NHL, and Disney. And I think as recently as like last month, Disney finally bought out the remaining ownership that the NHL stake had or whatever in in BAMTech. And now BAMTech is the provider, the tech provider behind Disney Plus, their OTT offering, right? So, and and just just to put numbers together, I think at the end of the day, each of the owners got a $4 million payout there's 32 owners. So you can kind of do the math in terms of returns there. so that's a great example of how here here's a technology that started first with sports, but then actually spanned into either areas of media entertainment altogether. Um, you know, fast forward to today's world. Do we still see applications like that? Absolutely. Um, there's a company that we're invested in, one of our portfolio companies called Pumpjack Data Works. And- You may be familiar with them as well. And they're in the business of effectively propping up a business intelligence layer that allows a team to have a better understanding of their fans' profiles. And with that, they're able then to provide their sponsors with greater value and ability to provide a much more personable experience, if you will. Um, And so so what's exciting about them is they figured a way to do this in a really efficient and scalable fashion across um, sports teams and leagues. But then they started also getting calls from publishing companies and media entertainment companies who actually want to know their audience a little bit better. Right. So again, we think about, you know, folks who are able to do innovations in specific areas of technology in the case of Pumpjack, it was really around um, connecting data pieces together, first and third party data over overcoming sort of the challenges with GDPR, et cetera. And then how do we parlay those learnings into other industries? So um, absolutely. We believe that there is a world in which technologies and innovations start with sports and then spread into adjacent verticals.
0: Object's a good example in a way where yes, it's uh, it's for sport, but then it goes for it's just general consumers and fan fan behavior. But it deals deeper level; it deals with third party data, data leakage, uh, problems with uh, historical data. It's it's no different from so many other industries as such it happens to be in sport initially, but it's the problems still remain across other things. Whether it's it's still fan behavior and, and stuff like that. Tell me a little bit about your work with PumpJack, your background, your work with data and analytics. You, how do you how do you work with a company like PumpJack and your work with uh, uh, and your work with data and analytics too?
1: Yeah, yeah, so think a little bit of background. So when I was in the NFL, um, I ever saw digital media strategy. And that's sort of like a catch-all term for all things on the digital media side. So it could be as sexy as like the fantasy game to, to, to data and analytics. Not that it's not sexy, but <laughs> to, to, to the thing, the nitty gritty behind the scenes, if yeah. you will. Right. So um, and part of the beauty of digital media modes of application is that you are able to get a better understanding of your fans' behavior. When do they tune in? How long did they tune in for? What were the modes of interaction that they had when they tuned in, right? So I think um, I think by the nature of the area that I was in, there was a lot of work with data analytics. So I worked very closely with our business intelligence team at the league. Um, everything from sort of understanding our data warehouse solutions to the sort of front-end BI layer and what would make sense in terms of how we extract the data, how we um, do data hygiene. We were using Adobe and various other applications um, to help us collect, clean, and understand the data, right? So I think um, there's that bit of background in terms of my interaction with, with data on the league side. And then when I came across um, PumpJack, I, I love that they were, I think, the, beyond just data, I think I what I loved is the interface they created for yeah. a marketing, for a team that may not have the depth of investments that a league would have for like a 60-person large BI team, right, or data analytics team. They, they were able to create a very usable interface that a marketing manager could go into and figure out, okay, who's going to the game this weekend? I want to find P1834 females who have only attended one game previously and get to that that level, right? So they were able to segment it very easily for somebody who was trying to put together a campaign out for a sponsor or a partner of sorts, right? So I think that that's just incredible. Um, In terms of how I work with PumpJack, um, I think there are a couple layers to this. Um, In full disclosure, I'm an advisor to, to the company, I came on board probably like a year, year and a half ago. Um, with I met met Nick Goggins, the founder. And over a period of time we got to know each other and really kind of jived in terms of how we thought about data. And he's very passionate about making sure that data gets back into the owners of the data, the collectors of the data. Um, and I'm super behind that as well. Yes. Um, and so and so we worked on a number of different things. I think at a very you know base level, a lot of advisors come in because they have a network that they can share. So naturally was introducing him to the folks that made sense. on my end, um, there were some folks on the NFL side that made sense to introduce, to, to them for the services they had to offer. Um, but I think there was a more strategic level relationship that we developed. Um, you know, Pump Jack kind of hit the ground running as all startups do. And they were trying to figure out sort of what their product portfolio might look like. Um, how do they position themselves? How do they price themselves? What are the product offerings of the different tiers and sort of thinking through, um, thinking through what that offering was looked like was something that I helped out with. Um, and as they're marching towards, um, their next milestone and in, in an A race shortly, um, also thinking through what is the narrative and what's the storyline, um, mm-hmm. You know, I come from management consulting and naturally like storytelling is just part of the, part of thing. And
0: naturally, you're laughing, yeah. (laughs) No laughing. It's, it's so natural. It is, it's management consulting. And then when you work with a startup, everything is narrative driven, but making sure that you tell the right story at the right time and you shout it out.
1: Yeah. You're spot on, right? The right story at the right time to the right person. Right. And so that's where advisors come in, in a lot of the way, at least in terms of my involvement, just. What is the story we need to tell at this point of, of the life cycle for PumpJack with the customers that you have worked well with and had great experience with, with the investors that you want to now get at this point in time? So really working with Nick and the team on that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that kind of makes up the bulk of the the work that we've done so far with PumpJack.
0: In an early conversation I, I've i had with you is that you're quite bullish on crypto. Um, why? What use cases can uh, in sport can crypto enhance? It, it seems like we. It's not a, that it's a wild west. We're still feeling a, the interrelationship between crypto sport, maybe the fan relationship, fan creator relationship. Your, give me a little bit on how you think crypto can work within sport or the sporting uh, vertical as such.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Very timely right now. Um, we're certainly seeing a lot of intersections between crypto and sports. I think at a very core level, um, we've seen a lot of uh, applications around fan engagement, leveraging mm-hmm. cryptocurrency, right, or the blockchain crypto markets. I kind of put lumped that a little bit together right now. Yeah. Um, and and um, a good example, which I'm sure you're familiar with, is sort of our involvement with Chili's and Socio's. and the work they do with, um, basically deepening fan engagement. Right. So if I take a step back and go, okay, well, what were some of the things that the market needed? Um, the sports world, we have these fervent avid fans around the world that want to be closer to the team, closer to the players, closer to the action. Right. How can we do that beyond just going to their live games in the schedule? Like what else can we do beyond that? And like fantasy, let's say. Right. And so, So therein, you know, filled the gap, Um, you know, companies like Socios and Chili's came in launching um, um, a fan engagement platform via digital tokens, right? Leveraging sort of the cryptocurrency markets to issue tokens, which in turn would give fans an opportunity to make decisions or participate in decision making at the team level and feel much closer to the team. And so they are able to do it by purchasing these tokens on the crypto markets and then for the teams of their choice. And it was seen as almost a currency. If you will,
0: yeah. Yeah. right?
1: So that's a very, very big application that we're seeing um crossing into sort of the crypto worlds and the fan engagement worlds. So, um, I i don't know if I told you the story last time, which I might have. Um, I know it's really funny. Um, one of my neighbors is a part owner for um, um LA Galaxy, the soccer MLS team down here. And okay. I remember we were over at their house like a few years ago, and we were talking about all sorts of things, like sports related. And he's like, um and, I, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's great because there's like 20 or so owners and like we get to like decide on like the locker room colors and the chance and all that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, Mike, that's great. Like, I mean, how are they doing all this with you guys? Because um, it's such a large ownership, right? Or is it, is it more than, you know, a few owners? And he's like, oh, yeah, like, I don't know, Nancy calls me from the team League and she's like, listen, like, we've got decision we got to make, you know, where do you want to place your votes? You want it to be black or you want it to be white? And I'm like, oh, and then, and then what happens? He's like, I don't know. They've put in like an Excel spreadsheet or something. Right. <laughs> and, and and I think about that incident, that story sometimes, because that was only a few years ago. Let me start by saying. And what what I'm seeing now is, you know, people often ask, like, is this thing going to stay this whole cryptocurrency craze, this NFT craze, the fan engagement craze? And and really, to me, it's an evolution of what's been done in a physical format yeah. in a digital format. Yeah. Right, and that to me speaks to sort of the sustainability and durability. Of course, is there some fanfare that's like leading markets to be a little bit buoyed? Sure, there's a bit of that. But is yeah. this thing going to stay? This way of interacting with fans and leveraging the crypto markets to to cultivate that fandom? I absolutely think it's going to stay. Okay. Um, um, to me, it's really just an extension of something in physical world into the digital space.
0: Probably the the way it evolves is probably the increasing rewards for the participation, for the creator. Maybe there's other ways. You, instead of just purchasing just tokens, maybe a way of developing content that goes back to the club to increase your fandom. It's, but I'm always trying to think of ways that it can evolve uh, rather than it's – I don't want to make it sound like that it's ultimately transactional right now, but I'm sure the relationship evolves through maybe creation or shared creation between club and uh, the club and fan.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we're bleeding sort of almost into the NFT space, right? And yeah, and, yeah, and everything. Yeah, definitely. And everything that's happening there. I think at a, again at a very base level, NFTs can represent a digitization of the collectibles world, right? That that speaks to fans. But I think adding a layer to it is like, how do we engage to your point, the fans in the content creation and experience building of a team? Right. Yeah. Um, I think when I was at the league and we did a bunch of work in social media and thinking through how do we, like, if we look at the YouTube, I remember we would look at the YouTube handle for, for the NFL. We're like, oh my God, there's all this content that's just created by like people that love the sport and they're clipping things together, sometimes better than what the league would put out themselves. Right. That's or right. You know, they've got their perspective on something, or they're recreating a play of sorts. And there's some really interesting stuff. And the view, which on that is, is amazing. Right. And we call this, you know, UGC, user generated content. And so, how do we bring that into the fold? How do we give these people recognition, even yeah. right? And so, and so, the crypto markets, the blockchain markets, um, has is starting to kind of birth this place that allows the the creation, the minting of the stuff, the you know, transaction of the stuff, the value, the value growth of the stuff right? If you will. And I think, I think that, um, I think that just is, is so incredible to see folks that, you know, first it obviously deepens their fan engagement. Second, I think people getting compensated for things that they are good at, whether they're a storyteller, they're an experienced recreator, um, or even if like an opinion giver, I I think it's, it's invaluable. I think the same. I'm sure you guys have been having conversations around sort of NIL, right? Name, image, and likeness.
0: Um, it's uh I th- it's, Nil is it's such a it's a very North American centric issue that we we observe because it's it's such a it's a unique thing it's from my Australian lens Nil is such a unique issue to North America at the moment
1: yeah so I, it is a bit of a North American phenomenon with the NCAA having issued sort of rules around this historically and saying that athletes, cannot monetize on their name, image, and likeness. And oh. when that shifted this year and sort of floodgates open and people realize that they were able to monetize on it, I bring, I bring that, um, bring this topic up in the context of really giving content creators not just the technological tools, but the runway from a regulation perspective, from an adoption perspective, people like warming up around the idea that like content doesn't necessarily need to come from the rights holders or the major brands. It can come from the people. And it's really this shift um, that we're seeing outside of even sports and content generation altogether, um, where we're seeing that. I think it's so powerful and I think will give credence to the sustainability and durability of blockchain applications, crypto markets, and NFTs altogether.
0: I want to stay with, this could be a personal thing, it could be a Ludus Capital thing as well, Trends or just unexplored areas that to be served in sport or fitness or gaming. What is what are some things? Actually, what, was, what should we call it? observations? What are some observations or trends that we my, I should be we should be looking out for, or that you're seeing? That uh, like we've been covering crypto as well. We've been covering uh, um, NFTs, but is there anything else that is unexplored or trending that we should be looking out for?
1: Yeah, there's a number of areas. Um, so again, maybe a little US centric because we've been behind the curve on this piece, but sports yeah. betting, right? With the repeal of Pasba in 2018. And as every kind of state slowly figures out how they're going to tax and regulate and lighting up. Um, I think right now 25 states, about half of the US states have have turned green and figured it out. I think it's a very exciting space to see sports betting get legalized and what that will mean, not just for the avid that gamer better, okay? We're really talking about sort of the applications even for the casual um, <laughs> yeah. casual gamer and casual better, right? I mean, there's been a lot of debate around this, like how big is this market really going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when everything is open, you know, there'll be some that says, well, you you really, you're talking about just the avid gen better, but I would argue otherwise. I think technology has facilitated experiences that are much more palatable to a larger market like my mom would also then place a bet, right? People who you wouldn't think yep. would because games have become so simple and casual and accessible and quick, right? Yeah. And I think we're able to solve those things, which I imagine they would be as they have been solved previously. We're going to see the market for casual games um, get much larger. And, how, and I think the big question is, you know, how much of that casual gaming market then converts? And become a full-on sports better and open a sports book in Vegas. Right. So I not that
0: very, no, it's a very, it's an interesting space. And I look at it, and I've got a I look at, I've got a lens, I've got a different lens because in Australia we are we are huge gamblers as a nation. We we've it's been legal in every which way for for eternity here. We are we we gamble like crazy. Yeah. However, what I find interesting in the US is two things. Uh, a lot of the micro in-game betting is quite an interesting proposition. The fact that there may even be free-to-play versions of that as well, which can funnel into that. And yeah. also then the other thing that interests me is the confluence of media and gambling, where it's essentially a media company is also a gambling company or vice versa. These are things that aren't in Australia but is going to. it looks like it's accelerating in the US that I find very interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think this gets back to your like sharp observation right there. And I think it's it back to sort of this, this confluence across um, different verticals that are trying to solve for the same thing. Maybe yeah. it's not called fan engagement, but it's like audience engagement. Right. Um, yeah, media, yeah. yeah. Right. Media, like I watched the bachelor. And like people will take bets on the bachelor, right? Like me and my girlfriends will think about that, right? Like you've got great media assets, great content, great shows, right? Great games, great leagues, great what up rights, right? Combine that with sort of the gaming um, aspect of it, whether it's free to play or it's like a full on, you know, you know, sports betting application. I think you're just combining things that people enjoy, right? And, And, and how do we present the right experience for it and optimize the value on that. So I think that's spot on observation, um, right there. Um, so I think we'll probably see a spread in terms of experiences that surface over the next, you know, three, even three, five years, seven years or so. Um, we're already starting to see it. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think, I think so I'm going to, I'll just cause I'm an investor in Robinhood. And I like to use that example often. If you look at Robinhood and, I don't know. Have you ever used the Robinhood app?
0: Uh, no, I don't think we can in Australia, actually.
1: Ah, okay. Forget you're in Australia. Yes, you are. Um, so, so, um, so I I spent some time on the trading floor before. So I had like the six screens, full on Bloomberg trading platforms and whatnot. Right? Yeah. Not user friendly. Like if you didn't go through training, I highly do not recommend you go and you know make some trades that way. What Robinhood has done is, and, you know, it's all over the, it's all over the press these days with, with their recent um, public listing is they've really, um, and debates aside on, on other things, but, but they've really yeah. simplified the way in which someone could participate in the trading markets, right. In yeah. the equity markets and the, the options markets, et cetera. And we can have a separate debate on, you know, how do we make sure we have the right people on there who are fully educated and whatnot. That's a separate topic. I I would say. But in terms of the user experience, though, to make it really easy and and decipherable and accessible, uh, I think it's really key. And I think the same thing needs to happen in something like sports betting. I would even say fantasy, too. Like for the, you know, for the Virgin Fantasy player, it's like daunting. A season long game and figuring out like the draft process like if you're not doing auto draft, anything besides auto draft is it's a little bit more involved, right? You have yeah, to kind of it. understand a lot of the rules and norms of such of the game, right? Um, And I think. The company who figures out how to simplify it and make it very like user friendly is really going to win that larger market that everybody's really excited about, and I think that's where we're, we're excited too. Um, you know, it's one thing to cater to the avids, and we love the avids; they'll stay on for long. They've got great customer lifetime values. But how do we get that larger piece of the pie? And I really do think it's through accessibility of a greater user interface.
0: It always is. It's you know the avid the avid user is is already a given. But then you know, that's just a tip of the sphere or the top of the pyramid. You've got the other 90% that only might dive in just on occasion. They're the ones that's 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 who you got that's got to be scooping up anyway.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Just got one more question then. One more. What makes sport such an interesting, dynamic space to be in? And that's a personal thing too. Why, yeah, why be in sport? Why so dynamic? You must must be so passionate about sport in general and it could even be because of your past or your just general just love of sport and fitness or the sports industry what makes it so yeah. dynamic
1: yeah thanks for that question um you might be surprised at my answer actually um so i was not raised with very much sports in my life um I was raised very much in the arts performing arts. I was a ballerina and one could argue that's a sport too. Um, I was a piano player. I was very much into humanities and whatnot. So I didn't have too much exposure to sports. I played, you know, a couple seasons of softball as a child. So so I didn't have too much and my family did not watch sports. So I only was exposed to it actually quite late in my early twenties when I met my um, now husband, who's a diehard NFL fan. Um, he's all sport fan. And, and um, I remember going to my first game um, at the Redskin stadium in DC and wow, like, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to like a, a like a, a symphony performance or a ballet performance. I have. Um, yes. I, I love the performing arts and I love classical music um, and I love it when we actually even get to discuss what it is that we're listening or watching and performing in, et cetera. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty tame experience, right, overall versus a sporting event. Um, and I was just kind of blown away by just the excitement of the people around me the crazy fandom that they had and the fervency with which they had that fandom, um, the drama that plays out on the field between the two teams, the rivalries that exist, the histories beyond that that day that was happening in the game, but like years past, right. The predictions and the egos um, people have around their predictions of what's going to happen in that game and going forward into the season. Um, It was just, wow i was like and it brought so many people together so i was like in my t- early 20s then and and i had lived in europe previously previous to this um i came to america and like there literally was was all types of people talking positive and talking shit too, right? With each other. (laughs) And it was just sort of this incredible experience and like almost a wow factor for me. I was like, I really like this. I had a really good time. I got into it, right? And that's sort of when my, I I guess I almost love for for sports or love for, for football started. Um, and you know, I got to like learn about the game and my husband's like, oh my God, you were working for the NFL when that day came. Right. That was sort of like a big shocker for him. Um, but I've, I think I've gone to appreciate sort of what a role sports can play in society. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. I think at its core, it's an entertainment format. It has the best of entertainment, right? I think you talk to Hollywood producers. They're like, what can beat live sports? Right. I mean, it's got the top viewership for, for reasons. Right.
0: I, I, sport is. I mean, look at the amount of sporting documentaries we have now. Look at sporting film. The way sport and music goes together. It's sport and society. The it's probably the way. Sport is something that if you if you speak to someone in say somewhere in Europe or the Middle East or anything like that, you can. It's it's pretty much top line of what you bond over. Oh, do you watch the English Premier League or do you watch this and that? It's almost top of line that you of way of connecting with someone you don't know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember like in one of my last years of league, um, when America was unfortunately getting very divided over politics, um, we had an all hands internally and the head of LA came out and spoke and he was just like, let us enjoy the season. Let us enjoy, um, you know, the games, let us remember, you know, sports kind of cuts across all things politically, political, you know, affiliations, religion, ethnicity, whatever, all backgrounds. And it brings us together in such a positive way. And I remember it it really lifted the spirits for a lot of people. I think we were in a bit of a funk, you know, and now we've got the pandemic. Okay. So we got the pandemic and and I'm sure the all hands there, certainly referenced sports again, but it's so true though. It brings everyone together in a very, very positive place. Right. And I think if we are seeking hope, sports is one of those places that we can seek hope in not just professional sports right also as we see you know ourselves like as adults playing sports as our children play sports right bringing people together in a very healthy way so i think um you know i'm proud to be in this space i'm excited to be in a space you know i'm not an athlete i work with a lot of athletes and i feel like it's such a core fabric to how we live life um and so i am very very proud and excited to be in, in the sports sector
0: a big thank you to Matilda for joining me on In Conversation With. It was a privilege to interview her on the show. Check out Lunas Capital, their work and portfolio of investments. I'll have their links in the show notes. All of Bullpen's social media links will also be in the show notes. On Bullpen Socials, I drop videos and vignettes on companies and startups you should know more about. I've also begun doing deep dives into areas of interest in the sports, media and investment spaces. Do check it. Thank you for listening in. Be good and bye for now.